St. Warburg's Derby. Fab, thanks Andy, that was very kind. It's lovely. Such a lovely guy. When you spend two months or in and out the same house with someone, you do get to know each other. So it's good when you can still say nice things. Um, so this morning, um, uh, this morning, I'm talking about a whole life. We're talking, we're working through a series. I think about kind of holy living or whole living. A bit of a play on words, but. Um, we're thinking about what does a whole life look like? What does it mean to feel kind of complete and fulfilled and a, living a holy life? Does your life look like what it, you expected it might look like? If you think back, um, what did you expect life to be like? Pretty big questions to start thinking about on a sunny Sunday in June. I don't think I ever expected to be a vicar's wife. That makes me think of someone who's probably at least 60, surely. Um, With three girls and living in Derby. I don't think I even knew where Derby was. So it's not really as I expected, but um, that's, that's okay. My main ambition, I think, when I think back to being a child, the main thing I remember as my biggest dream was wanting to be a librarian. I was really dreaming big at this stage. I had high expectations of life. All I wanted was to be surrounded by books and have the time to read them, which was a... I hadn't actually fully thought that through because although I'd be there as a librarian, I wouldn't actually be reading the books. So I didn't have it quite sorted. Um, Now I don't even remember the last time I've read a novel, so it hasn't quite worked out as I expected. And I'm still trying to work out what I'm going to do when I grow up. I haven't figured it out yet. What did you want to do when you were younger? Can you remember? Uh, is anybody, hands up, anybody actually doing what they always dreamt they would be? What they expected? Ah, oh, there's a few. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, we have these dreams, we have these expectations. And Phil... Um, a couple of weeks back, we had a moment of trying to very kind of boldly and rashly empower and encourage our girls to say, girls, you can be all you want to be. There is no limitations on you. Nothing's holding you back. Just because you're girls, it doesn't mean that, you know, there's, there's no career path that is not okay for you. If you want to do it, you go for it. They're allowing them to dream big, to believe that they could be all they want to be. It was a special moment. Olivia, our youngest who is five, was obviously greatly inspired by this moment and declared with great enthusiasm, well, when I grow up, I want to be a unicorn. (laughs) Right. Well, well, maybe not quite that, Olivia. So Phil then had to take back what he'd so grandly stated. But life doesn't always turn out as you would expect. I'm not sure Olivia is going to actually become a unicorn, so she might need to find a new dream. You might be facing situations that you had never imagined or could have conceived of when you were a child. We're constantly bombarded um, by advertising that tells us that we need this or we need that or we need this experience or we need to do that to mean that our life is fulfilled, that it becomes what we had expected it would be. We so often feel like we are not complete, that we are not fulfilled, that we are not enough. But first and foremost, living whole, living complete is knowing that God says you are enough. 
as you arrived this morning, as you are here and now, you are enough. You are valued, you are loved, you are accepted, you are cherished. And if that sinks in, that transforms us. You may well have heard this a thousand times before. It may be the first time you're hearing it. God knows you, he knows your name, he sees you, and he loves you. Um, We had a few words given to us this morning for the services today. Um, One of them was um, a verse that I just heard preached about over the past couple of days and uh, very much struck me. It's from the Song of Songs. I don't think I'd ever heard it before. From Song of Songs, uh, chapter 4, verse 9. So the Song of Songs is... um, It's a love story, Um, and one way it's read is of God talking to each one of us as a, um, a bridegroom to the bride. He loves us, and he says to us, you have captivated my heart, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. We look to God. We glance his way, maybe briefly, but he, his heart is captivated by us. And he longs to know us more or for us to know him more. So knowing that truth is where we start. That's the basis. That's our foundation. That's our, um, our board, uh, starting point. But then what we're going to focus on a bit more today is what living whole practically looks like as we live out that truth of who we are and who we are when we're loved by God. We look to Jesus And we look to his example. He came to give us life and life to the full. What does that mean? How do we live a life that is full, that is complete, that is not, that is not, um, that doesn't leave us with aching desires to feel complete, to feel fulfilled, that doesn't leave us with gaps? So the two things that I just want to talk about this morning are being authentic and being intentional. Authentic and intentional. So be authentic. This is me. This is who I am. Be intentional. This is where I want to be. This is where I'm going. And I'm going to start by looking at being intentional. So this is where I want to be. Um, We're going to just read briefly Luke 6, verses 12 to 19. And I will read it from the screen because I think I've got a different version in my Bible. So it says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, who he also designated apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So Jesus, I believe, lived an intentional life. Before he chose those 12 disciples, those 12 who were his closest friends and companions who accompanied him over the next three years of his ministry, who were the ones who he, um, he entrusted 
to go and to complete the mission, to send the church to the, around the, to the world, to send his love around the world. Before choosing them, he went up a mountain and he prayed all night. I can't remember the last time I prayed all night. I'm not sure if maybe you can. Did you pray all night? Uh, it doesn't often happen. But Jesus was, um, he knew he had big decisions to make. And he knew that the crowds were gathering round. The crowds, after he had done that, the crowds were gathered. And they continued to gather throughout the Gospels. They increased and they intensified. And not only those who were coming, wanting something from Jesus, but also those, also those who were questioning him, who were attacking him, who didn't want him to succeed. And so he knew in his intentionality that his determination to choose time with his father was his absolute priority. He needed a night of prayer, and this was Jesus, who was the Son of God. And we're told again and again throughout the Gospels, I spent some time last week flicking through the whole of the Gospels, and so many times it is mentioned, Jesus withdrew to a quiet place. Jesus got up early, he went to pray. Jesus went up a mountain to, to pray. Night fell, and Jesus went, was praying. And it happened so often. Jesus' compassion for these people who crowded around him grew, and so also his intentionality to spend time with his Father, to pray, to retreat, grew as well. So if Jesus needed this, how much more do we? In the busyness of our lives, we need to find time and space where we can go and meet with God. And I know that this is far easier to say than it is to do. I know we've all heard this so many times, that this should be our priority, that this should be what we are doing but it's um, so important to do. So hard to do, though, as well. Um, A few years ago, I made the decision that I needed to um, deliberately take take stock to start to to go deeper. If I actually wanted to know Jesus, like it says in the Bible, he is my friend, to feel like I knew him, like he was actually my friend, like someone I could talk to I knew, rather than this kind of blurry entity somewhere out there but to feel like I knew him I knew I needed to spend time with him at the time we had two young children sleep was patchy to say the least so early mornings were not my friend and I uh, did not fancy getting up early to go and pray and then I remember one morning one day I was struck I think I was in a small group and we were talking about giving God our first fruits which is a little bit of a strange Um, Old Testament phrase and in the Old Testament it's used to describe the harvest giving God the first fruits of the harvest so they would produce the harvest and the kind of the best and the first was given to God and then the rest was for their use and now we maybe sometimes talk about it over our income the first fruits of our income we give to God Um, and for me I decided I needed to give God the first fruits of my time that this was the thing that was precious to me at that stage of life And the first fruits of my time for me was seven o'clock in the evening. That moment when um, those with small children might know or be in the midst of the children, they're in bed. You've got them asleep. Endless trips up and down. Might not be seven o'clock, always on the dot. Um, Endless trips up and down. Just one more story. Or as our children are so crafty, just one more prayer. I mean, who can say no to that? You can't. You can't say no when they say, sit down, TV, uh, chocolate, cup of tea, whatever it is. And then I realized those precious moments that I longed for and I waited through the day for, I was giving away to mindless TV, to the best part of my day in my head um, was wasted, wasted away on nothing that kind of would 
help me in the end. So I made the decision to use this time for good, to give the first 20 minutes or so to reading my Bible, to prayer, to seeking God. Um, that's what I could give him in that season. And looking back, I can see that that decision was transformational, although I didn't recognize it at the time. Um, I had a kind of a flick through some of my old journals as I was thinking about this talk. And what really struck me mostly as I read through them was how dreadfully dull they were. Day in, day out, the same thing over and again. My mum, she's got a, a lovely phrase that she jokingly says to me whenever I say I'm off to a prayer meeting or doing 24-7 prayer or whatever she says you're not off bothering God again are you like and I tend to roll my eyes and laugh at the terrible theology of that but reading through my journals I think she actually probably has a point like day in day out the same thing same prayers I'm sure God's thinking when will she ever learn seriously come on what's next what's new um but then as I read through the gospels Noting the different times Jesus was praying, I was struck by the parable of the judge in um, Luke 11. Jesus specifically taught this parable to the disciples um, when they asked him uh, to teach them to pray. They had recognized something in Jesus that they wanted, that they knew. They knew he knew how to pray with an authority or a difference that they hadn't seen before. They recognized something in Jesus that was attractive. So he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, and then he goes on to tell them this, uh, this little parable about, oh, not, not the judge, sorry, that's a different bit, but this one about, um, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You would say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived and I have nothing for him to eat. He would call out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked. We're all in bed, I can't help you, but I tell you this, though he won't do it as a friend, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you what you want. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and the door is open to everyone who knocks. So Jesus, in wanting to teach his disciples about prayer, teaches them to persist, to keep on, to keep saying those same prayers over and over again, to keep knocking, to show that they are in this for the long haul, they are committed. This is not just, oh, well, God, if you would do it, it would be nice, but to know that we are desperate to know that we are reliant and we need God to show up because we need him to bring freedom, to bring healing, to bring life, to bring transformation. He also taught the story of the persistent widow to show the disciples, it says in Luke 18, that he, he told them this story to illustrate their need for constant prayer, that they must never give up because he knew that our prayers wouldn't be answered maybe the first or the second or the 14th or the 51st time. And actually... In the words of my mum, we do need to keep bothering God. So dull as my journals are over the years, endlessly saying, saying the same prayers, I did see God resolve situations to bring clarity, to see hearts changed, and to see that I was drawn closer to him and his heart for me over the years. Um, and in a kind of practical outworking of that, I wonder whether you've heard the phrase spiritual disciplines. It doesn't sound like a pretty thing 
Discipline does not sound like an attractive word, but actually what they are are they're tools that put us in a place um, that allow God to bring transformation to us. So if we are looking for an answer from God or we're looking for him for our healing or we're looking to know him more or we're wanting to go deeper in our relationship with him, um, the spiritual disciplines are a way of doing that. They're a way of going deeper into our um, Bible meditation, prayer, fasting, study, solitude, simplicity, confession, worship, celebration, all slightly big words, scary words. Um, But what they do is they put us in a place where we are awake and we're aware of God and what he's saying to us and how he's at work in us and it allows transformation to happen. Um, so I would encourage you to kind of to look into those. There's some books that have been written about them that are amazing that, I can, um, that would say it way better than I can, so I can let you know if you're interested. But things like that, things like journaling, writing down what you think God's saying, um, what, what has happened over the past 24 hours that's been significant, what has kind of provoked a strong reaction in me in the past 24 hours that I need to note, where, do, where have I seen God be present, or where have I felt him be absent? Noting these things down kind of every few days is a good way to keep track of where we are and what God is doing. Um, it's good to keep note of these things and to keep looking back to remember where we were and where God has brought us to. So be intentional. Make the decisions to dig in, to figure it out, um, spending that time with God, putting that as a priority. Be authentic. This is me. Um, we had the cathedral the service at the cathedral a couple of weeks back. I don't know if um, any of you were there, but there were 650 people there, apparently from a number of different churches, well, many different churches across uh, the city. And at one point, I had to get up and say a little bit about prayer and um, what's been going on in the prayer room. And a number of people kindly mentioned to me at the end that they were very impressed that I didn't say anything inappropriate, um, which I I felt was more like a backhanded cop compliment than an actual compliment. Phil tends to get a little bit nervous when I get the microphone. He's never quite sure what I'm going to say, but fortunately he's not here this morning, so it's okay. I don't see it as inappropriate. I tend to see it as authentic. This is me. This is what I like. My mind, you know, sometimes you do speak before you think, but um, I, think it, I think it's good to be authentic. I think it's good to be who we are. And um, it is so impo- important for us to live lives of integrity, even if just for our mental well-being, that who we are and what we say and what we do matches up. God can't be at work in our lives if we're too busy trying to be something that we're not. Be who God made you to be, and you will set the world on fire, said St. Catherine of Siena. If a saint says it, they know what they're talking about. As we seek to find a whole life, to find a rhythm and a routine that works for us, we need to find the way that, that works with our personality, that works with our rhythm, our routine, our daily habits. Phil's initials are PM, my initials are AM. And that speaks volumes about us. I would always choose the morning. He would always choose the evening. 
We need to find a pattern and a rhythm that suits me. I, you know, mornings are good for me. I love it. I get up. I have my peace and my quiet. Um, and that is a special, precious time to me. Phil, I mean, he, he stumbles downstairs at the best of times. Um, he couldn't do mornings. It wouldn't work for him. I'm not sure when his routine is, but, you know, I'm sure he'll tell us. Um, the evenings are his time. Having said that, we need to find a preference. We need to find where we work, but we also need to allow Jesus to challenge us, to move us on, to push us, to push us out of our comfort zone, to see transformation. If we just jump back to the passage that we started with in um, Luke 6, Jesus had prayed all night. He'd chosen the disciples. He'd chosen those special 12. And he then came down the mountain, and around him there were more of his followers and there were more crowds. And it distinguishes between the crowds and the followers. So there were people there who were there just to look and to see and maybe question and doubt and even be um, attack, attack Jesus. And there were there who, people who were there to follow him, who were desperate to see healing. So there was a mixture of motivations and beliefs in that place. And in the midst of it, Jesus was speaking and healing and casting out demons Flowing out of his time of prayer of that night, he was then able to do all that Jesus had called him to do, to meet the needs of those who so desperately needed him. Everyone was trying to touch him, it says, because healing power went out of him and they were all cured. And then what follows is the Sermon on the Mount, some of the greatest of Jesus' teaching. All of this flows from prayer. And if this is the case for Jesus then it's the same for us. What are we called to do? Who are we called to be? Who are the people around us who need us, who need a touch from Jesus? Out of the intentionality of prayer comes the presence of God, allowing us to authentically be present with the people around us. Literally, as I was typing these words, I was sat in a coffee shop um, in Leeds, randomly, and I was head down not really aware of anything or anybody and suddenly realized that there was um a lad had come up to talk to me and he said I'm he said I'm sorry to interrupt you but can I just ask what are you reading I said oh it's it's the bible I'm just writing a few bits he said what what, what are you, why? What, what are you, what's that about? So I said, oh, it's about prayer, and I'm doing a talk, and it's for my church, and la, la, la. I said, do you go to church? So I said, oh, no, no. He said, it's weird that you'd be reading the Bible. People don't do that anymore. And uh, we ended up having this little discussion, and he came and sat down with me, and he was um, probably mid-twenties, young guy, and his mum had has obviously has a faith and had taught him various things he knew bits of the bible but he didn't go to church he decided to walk away um but his life was full of confusion he said i don't know what to do i flip from one thing to the next i can't make a decision um he said why would you why would you believe that why do you believe why do you read the bible so i i gave him as best an answer i could and i waffled on a little bit um And eventually, after about 20 minutes, he stood up. He said, well, thank you for letting me interrupt you. And I said, well, I'm happy to pray with you. Oh, no, no, I don't need that, he said. But then he wandered off. So who knows what what that was about. But I pray that as I um, 
continue to allow God to transform me, I would be an aware and awake to what God is doing so that in those moments, when someone's asking those questions or someone needs a touch from Jesus, I would have the right words and I would have God's presence on me so that they would see that there is something different and that they would be aware that there is something missing that they need to explore. These routines and rhythms that we might have in place or we might need to put in place are only there to enable us to be propelled out to love the world around us. The whole point of them is that we can go and we can speak and we can show Jesus' love. It says um, in the Bible that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak what's in our hearts because that's what will come out. In these moments, that's what comes out. We may feel we can put up a front or pretend, but eventually, in an unguarded moment, what's in our hearts comes out. Proverbs 4 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. What are you putting into place to guard your heart, to transform your heart, so that out of the overflow, good comes, life flows. Our world is hungry for genuinely changed people. Leo Tolstoy said, everybody thinks of changing humanity and nobody thinks of changing himself. It starts with us. It starts with our hearts being changed and being putting ourselves in a place where God can speak to us. One final story and then I'll finish. I don't know how I'm doing for time. I've lost track, but um, I've got the microphone, so <laughs> too bad. Um, <laughs> Gypsy Smith was born on the outskirts of London in 1860. He never received a formal education, yet he lectured at Harvard. Despite his humble origins, he was invited by two sitting US presidents to the White House. He crisscrossed the Atlantic Ocean 45 times, preaching the gospel to millions of people. And he never preached without someone surrendering their life to Jesus. Gypsy was powerfully used by God. Everywhere he went, it seemed like revival was right on his heels. But it wasn't his preaching that brought revival. It never is. Preaching may move the hearts of men, but pray praying moves the heart of God. And that's where revival comes from. Gypsy revealed his secret to a delegation of revival seekers who sought an audience with him. They wanted to know how they could make a difference with their lives the way that he had with his. His answer was simple yet profound, as timely and timeless now as it was hundreds of years ago. He gave them this advice. Go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor, and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself. There, on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly, that God would start a revival within that chalk circle. Gypsy lived an authentic life. He was who he was, no formal education, humble origins, and yet he put himself in a position where he could be used mightily by God. He put himself on his knees in that circle, praying fervently that God would use him. And we too need to put ourselves in that circle, put ourselves on our knees before God, seek him, seek his heart to allow ourselves to be transformed, that we might transform those around us, those we meet. So let's be authentic.
be who we were made to be. And let's be intentional. Let's seek God. Let's make that a priority. And let's see what he does. Maybe revival will flow. Amen.